Restoring Place Church, the church of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center, is a place where we make disciples of Christ, teach and train them to live as children of God, and to thrive in who He created them to be. We believe that this is the best time on earth to be alive, to experience the end-time harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. Get ready to be renewed, recharged, and restored to go out and take the gospel to your world. Let's join our service already in progress. You know, he does care for us. And the best thing that we could do to tell each other is the truth to the word of God. Amen. If we're not walking in truth, we're walking in darkness and the enemy has an upper hand on us. Amen. So we need to know, can always keep our nose in this book, trust God's word to believe what he has to say. <clears throat> because he is good. He longs good things for us. He wants us to be free. So if he wants us to be free, then he wants us to know the truth. Amen. Jesus said when he pulled his disciples to himself after he spoke to a group of disciples and religious leaders, he said, if you continue my word, you would be my disciples indeed. Part of being a disciple is continuing in his word. If you continue my word, you'd be my disciples indeed. You would know the truth and the truth would make you free. I'm not sure what you're going through today here or online or wherever you may be. First of all, welcome to Restoring Place Church. But whatever you're going through, God wants you to be free from it. He wants you to be blessed. He cares about your future. He cares so much about your future. 2,000 years ago, he did something about it. <clears throat> and more specifically, before the world was created, he, he fixed it so you and I could walk in freedom today. Before the world was ever created, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. And before there was a Lamb ever created on this earth, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. He was going to be the one to be slain, shed his blood for you and me. Before we ever got here, before there was dirt to make him, before Adam was formed, before the dirt was here, Jesus was already proclaimed in the heavenly realm that Jesus would be the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that shed his blood for you and me. Amen. And if he didn't withhold his son, why wouldn't he freely give us all things? That's what Paul said to the church in Rome, chapter 8. If he didn't withhold his only son, why would he not freely give us all things? Sometimes we think we have to wrestle or pull something out of God's hand like he's not eager to give it to us. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, everything that heaven contains has already been poured out on us. He's already given it to us, lavished upon us as a love gift from a wonderful heavenly father. Everything that heaven has has been given to us. <laughs> And the word lavish means in such excess that it looks like he's being wasteful with it. He's a, he's a cheerful giver. He's a rich giver. And he's a free giver. He's not stingy. But sometimes we don't understand his righteousness. Because he's right for us. Amen. He's, he's the righteous judge for us. And when we come into his kingdom and into his way of doing things, his blood covers us. And we're set free. Amen. We're probably four weeks into Pentecost Sunday. 
four or five, according to which Sunday <clears throat> is, was Pentecost, the 26th or the, or the uh, 12th, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. 16th or 23rd. <clears throat> and it was a thing that Jesus came to do for us, according to John the Baptist. And let me just tell you now, and this is not a new story, but the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything that you need has been given to us. Everything we needed to be free has been given to us. John the Baptist said it, and Jesus said it both, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That means you have access to the kingdom right now. Right now. You don't have to wait till you get in the right position. You don't have to wait till you get good enough. Just come to him. Because his kingdom is available to us. It's at hand. Now if you're sitting there and you're something's, your phone may be at hand, that means you can get a hold of it anytime you need to. Just reach in and grab it. Like my phone is at hand. <clears throat> that means I have access to it. And if the kingdom of God is at hand for us, that means we can come to him because he's right here with us. Now, before we search for him, before we look for him in his kingdom, he was looking for us. <laughs> you may run and think you're getting away from God, but when you fall and look up, he's right there in your face. Amen. The Lord said, wait upon the Lord. Like, that's like wait and ambush. Like get somewhere to be in a position to see him when he comes. But you know, he's always with us. He's always been with us. He's everywhere. And if he's everywhere, then we're somewhere inside of everywhere. That means no matter where we go, we can access God because he's at hand. And his kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. It's different. It supersedes anything we know. It supersedes the natural world we live in. And it's so easy for us to get hooked up, tricked into this world's way of doing things that we think that's how everything operates. And we have to radically transform the way we think about it. We have to be transformed by renewing our minds to his kingdom. <clears throat> we don't have to come to God based on how we come to a banker or to a lawyer or to a person of authority. We come to us as a basis of a family, as, as he's our father. And by the way, it's Father's Day today. Did y'all know that? <laughs> Somebody wished me happy Father's Day. I said, well, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without my wife, and I couldn't have done it without my kids. <clears throat> I can't be a father without my kids as a, as a natural father, but we can surely be fathers in the Lord to those that are eating the fruit off our tree. You know that we are... We're always eating the fruit of somebody's tree. We're always at somebody's tree gleaning from them. Good or bad, you better be careful who you're gleaning from, right? But you're always learning from someone. There's, a, there's quite a few ministers that I glean from, I listen to. My first one is J.C. Hash, my father in the Lord. First time Karen and I went to his church, we thought everybody in this church is walking by faith. I mean, because we had just been hearing about learning to trust God and walk by faith to get through impossible situations. Because we had faced some things that if we owned all the money in the world, we couldn't buy our way out of this problem. 
We also got in a situation with our business that way. I need help. What we needed help for in 93 and 94 when we came to the Word of God and, you know, God was looking for us. I think he found us. We didn't find him. He sent people to send messages and words and tapes to us of which we ate from the fruit of those trees of those ministries that we heard. One of them was Brother Kenneth Hagin, Brother Copeland, Charles Capps, and then Charles Capps was coming one day to Winston-Salem. We said, we're going to that church, and we ended up going to that church in April. I think it's April 6, 94. is the first day we went. And Charles Capps ministered. The first time I heard anybody pray in tongues, and it was unusual to me, but I said, man, this is... Something about this is right. It's not the thing I'd heard all my life. You've got to be careful what you've been taught that's contrary to what God wants you to walk in. Or you won't walk in what he wants you to walk in because you've got a preconceived idea and you'll miss exactly what he wants for you because you think you already know. Right? I mean, you've got to be careful that when someone says, let's go to this scripture, you go, well, yeah, I know that. I've been there. Well, right there tells you you need to get back in there. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I've been one of the things I've looked at with Karen and I for 27 years is Mark 11 where Jesus spoke to a fig tree and, and I talk about it all the time it'd be easy to say why are you talking about it all the time but we're not, we're not walking in it yet we, had, we don't have the fullness of it yet we should be declaring and seeing things change because we said it and we should pray and believe that we receive it when we pray and then know that we have it and if we're not doing that yet, we're not, we don't have it yet. You really can't go into multiplication and division until you understand addition and subtraction. But, and if you tried, you're not going to get very far, right? <clears throat> How far would you get in trigonometry or geometry or calculus or quantum physics if you don't understand addition and subtraction, multiplication and division, right? We've got to have the foundational teachings to understand it. And if those things are off, we'll miss God. And if we're not declaring and seeing what we say come to pass, and if we're not praying and not seeing our prayers answered when we pray them, it can't be on our, it can't be on God's side of the problem. The problem can't be on his side of the equation. It has to be ours. I mean, he gave us how to pray and how to speak in faith and see changes. And if, we're not seeing changes. You can't go back to the one that wrote the word and say something's wrong in what you said. Because <laughs> it's not. <laughs> right? We may not have the full revelation of it, but, but until we do, we need to go back and look at that. Because we're coming into a day where we need to operate in faith and believe God for the miraculous. Because things are changing out there. I can't believe what I'm seeing now socially in our nation that if you told me 20, 30 years ago this would be this day, I'd say, no way. No way you'd see that. And that there's a potential that this book would be called a hate book. <laughs> a hate book? Because it says what it says, and it's contrary to what people want it to say, and so they want to reject it and say that it's hate. When in fact it's not, it's love. It's trying to keep someone from eternal destination of hell. And being separated from God is worse than being in hell. Can I tell you that? Being with him is 
what we long for, being separated from him, and worse than the torture we can imagine hell itself could be. Brother Creflo Dollar said at one time, when people cross from this ward into the next, the blinders will be gone, and they'll look and they'll see their father, and they go, that's my father. <laughs> but because of the decisions we made on this earth, if we've not made him Lord of our life or made Jesus the Lord of our life, the fact that we know that's God and he's our father, we'll lose him because we didn't accept him. Therefore, he's a loving father that will correct us whatever it takes to get our attention. He's not the one running around putting sickness on us or putting calamity on us. He told us how to live, and if we don't live that way, these things will come. And when we find ourselves in these problem areas, we can't blame him for doing it. He tried to tell us so we wouldn't walk in it because he wants us to be free. If the, if the truth would set you free and all he is is truth, then he is freedom. And the devil would tell you that if you kneel to him and bow and yield yourself to the Father, you've given up your life when actually you've lost your life without him. Because the moment that he withdraws himself from us, we're toast. Because there is a thief that comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And with him, we have authority over the devil. And without him, we don't. The only authority he has is between your ears, is in your thinking or your believing side. And that's why he's a great deceiver, because he wants you to, to deceive you into thinking that what God says is not true or keep you from hearing the truth. I mean, we go to church and sing songs and kumbaya and stuff like that, and we don't really get into the meat of the truth. And we tell great stories that have great parables to them, but we really don't talk about the truth of God's word. We may feel good when we leave, but it ain't going to do us a bit of good, right? I mean, we need to know the truth, the whole truth, the good part and the bad part of that, the truth. I mean, without truth, we are in, we are in trouble. That's why he sends his word. There's not much else he sends besides his word and his spirit. He'll send people, he'll direct people because someone prayed somewhere, but it's initiated through the prayers that we pray. And things changing. When the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. He said, pray like this. And notice the first thing he did was begin to worship God. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Before you go to anything else in your prayers... Worship God. <laughs> and if you get into prayer, you don't know what to say. Worship God. And when you go to prayer, worship God. Before you ever bring a list of things you want from him. And by the way, he knows the things you need before you ask him. But we still are required to ask him because if we don't ask, we won't, we won't have him. Therefore, us asking has something to do with us receiving what we ask for. Right? When we come to him, he said, hallowed be thy name. And then these next two things are not pleas that we have with God. These are, he told us to declare, thy kingdom come. Now this is what Jesus, this, this, the, Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. He goes, okay, here's how you pray. Declare this, 
thy kingdom come. And then declare this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And we have something to do about, with that by us declaring thy will be done. He didn't say ask for that fully. God's will is manifested in heaven because that's what he wants. And what he wants on this earth is for his will to be manifested. But there's something that stands in the way of it as your will and my will because he's relegated and delegated this earth and this authority to you and me to rule and reign on it. And if we choose to not walk with him, he's not going to make us walk with him. But he told us how to walk with him and how to talk with him and how to represent his kingdom on this earth by what we say and what we pray. Because it's important what we say and what we pray. And he said, thy kingdom come. In other words, wherever you go, take the kingdom of God, the realm of the kingdom of God with you and say, thy kingdom come. Jesus would go to people and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? He wanted them to know that they now have access, even through the proximity of him, because he was ushering in the kingdom of heaven and teaching the world about this God they thought they knew, but they didn't know. <laughs> and if you think you're in trouble in life and God's not there to help you, then you, you, you don't understand the kingdom. It may not come as you think, but don't think it's not coming. And when he tells us to declare that kingdom come, we have a part to, pay, to play with releasing his kingdom or making the kingdom of God accessible to those around us in our sphere. So no matter what we do, no matter what our occupation is, we have the ability to bring the kingdom realm of God into every facet of human life on this earth by bodies of believers. He doesn't bring you into the kingdom to take you out of where you were so you're no longer effective where you were. And how effective you are there based on how much you trust God is how he'll raise you up and out of there if that's what he wants out of you. Someone said, I'd rather build my ministry the gates of hell than at some church with with beautiful bells ringing. I'd I'd rather set up my ministry right at the gates of hell. I'd rather be in the thick of it than sitting in some quiet place where no trouble is going on. I think we'll have more access to that as the time goes on. Absolutely. But you know, in this moment, in this time that we're in, we need to be learning and to walk by faith and faith and from glory to glory so that when things come, we're ready. <clears throat> but if we wait until trouble comes, if you try to build your house in the middle of a hurricane, it's tough. Some people want to wait. They get sick, but they believe in healing scriptures and Sometimes that can be too late if you can't develop it by the time the devil comes. I mean, some things have time limits on them. You can get it instantaneously, but that's usually up to what we are willing to believe from God. What we're willing to believe God has everything to do with what we're going to see come to pass. We have more of a part to play in this thing with God than we think. Because first of all, why did he even want us to pray if that makes no difference? And why would he tell us to pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven if our praying doesn't have anything to do with that? 
it would appear to me that us declaring thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven ushers it more than just God wanting it. Or he wouldn't tell us to pray that way or declare that way. James, the first chapter, verse 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, ask of the giving God. You're not asking a God that won't give. You're asking of a God that gives. He's a giving God. But let him ask in faith. Let me go back. If any man lack wisdom, ask of the giving God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Notice, he doesn't hold your past up to say whether or not he's going to answer your prayer. <clears throat> your, pr- your past will not keep you from walking in the promises of God. You may have to deal with some things, and he tells you how to deal with them by bringing them to him and confessing them. And when you confess your sins to God, is not when he finds out. It's when you get rid of it. Why does he want you to confess? So you'll get rid of it. How is it that if I confess it to God, it gets rid of it? I don't know, but that's what he said, so I do it. That's what we're called to do is confess it. We grew up, and this being Father's Day, the worst thing I ever wanted to do was go tell my daddy something I did. I would just assume him never find out. I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm not going to, but I didn't want him to find out. <clears throat> and now we have a heavenly father who's even... Greater than that, more than we perceived our earthly father to be when we were young. But I mean, Paul calls God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. Every one of us, it goes by the name of father. <laughs> we get that name from him. He's a perfect example of what it means to be a father. And when I've had trouble with my kids, I'm, he often reminded me of his patience with me and then requires the same thing of me for my kids. And I'm like, man, you know, Lord, that, you, you're asking a big thing. And he'd look at me and say, no, nah, I ain't big at all. <laughs> it's a decision. We, 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 he declares things to us and then we have to decide whether we're going to follow him or not. And agree with him. Our part's pretty easy. <laughs> Believe him and do what he said. That's it. Believe him. Deep down inside, you know what he says is true. And if you say, well, I don't know if I can believe that or not, you're really trying to wiggle out of something. Because you know he can't lie. I mean, just think about that. I mean, this is the one that gets me. Why in the world would we not believe God who's never lied and then turn around and believe the devil who never told the truth? Why would we, okay, why would we not believe what God said who's never lied and we would turn around and believe the devil who's never told the truth? Seems like it'd be a slam dunk on our side, but God's never lied, so I'm going to believe him. And if he said it, I will tell you that it will come to pass. And when you get to heaven, you'll see the fullness of everything that you could have had while you were here. Had you jumped in here. 
we're only delaying our own peace by not believing him. And by the way, he gave his peace to us. He said, my peace, I leave with you. We have the peace of God. We may think we're looking for it, but it's right here. It's just like him and his kingdom. It's... Do you understand that if everything that heaven contains has been lavished upon us, that means we have access to everything that heaven contains right now, now, not tomorrow, now. But if we mentally assent to that instead of accept it with our spirit, we'll have eyes to see and not see. We'll have ears to hear but not hear. We'll have a heart to receive this hard less at any time we begin to see and begin to hear and understand with our hearts and we'd be converted and we'd be healed. Or whatever it is that we manifested based on his promise that he's already given us. If, he always, if God always operates in the now, then everything we need is done. Everything that we need is done. There's some things that are coming later. Jesus is coming back. He hasn't come back the second time yet. He is coming back. You can believe that or not believe it, but you won't change it. He's coming. <clears throat> and by the way, this covenant that we have with God to be born again and be filled with the Spirit is a covenant between him and his son. I can partake of it or leave it, but I can't change it. It will always be settled forever in the, in the heavenly realm because God declared it and it has come to pass. Jesus died and it's already been given to us and now it's, we have access to it. We're not waiting on him to do anything for us to walk in his fullness. He is coming back. And you and I can't control when he's coming back. But we can be sure of one thing. He is coming back. And the fullness of what we're going to think we're going to have, we will have. But we have the Holy Spirit now as an inheritance, as a down payment or like the engagement ring for a bride who one day the wedding is coming. But if you look at what was, what's been given to us now, even before the fullness of all that, man, we, 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 we got it locked up. It's a fixed fight. We, we, we always win. And if we go through something and not win, he's going to say, why didn't you win that? That was yours. Well, God, you know, yeah, I know. That's why I gave you my word, so you know the truth. What you do with the truth has everything to do with what results you get from the truth. He said, be careful what you're listening to, Jesus said. He told him about the parable of the sower, right? The sower sows the word. Psalms 107, verse 20. Fools, because of their transgressions, are afflicted. Can you identify with that? I surely can. I did stupid stuff, and I had to pay for it. And I became afflicted. And these people, they were so afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they drew near to the gates of death. I don't know why they waited so long, but then they cried to the Lord in their troubles, and God hears them and sends his word and delivers them and heals them and delivers them from destruction in the pit. They cry unto the Lord in his trouble, and God hears them and sends his word. I think that's why Brother Copeland says all you need is one word from God can change your life forever. One word. That's all you need. 
for that situation. For life, you need all his words and continuing his words. You know, the, the, the seed in that parable is the same for every situation. It's the same seed. Have you taken that seed that went in the wayside and stuck it in good soil and produced a harvest? 30, 60, 100. And if it's 30, 60, 100, I'll take the 100. I'll believe for 100 and maybe miss it and get the 60 of them. I'm not going to believe for the 30 and work my way up. Man, shoot, man. He's able to do far over than we, than we can actually think or pray or dream. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we dare ask or think or pray. Or we can imagine. Why would we even settle for just crumbs when he wants us to have the whole meal? But the sower sows the word, Jesus said. It's a parable. He didn't explain it in the midst of everybody. He explained it when he got back with his disciples by himself. I said, Lord, you're going to have to explain this one to us. He said, boys, if you don't understand this one, how are you going to understand any of them? This is the Mac Daddy of them all. What we do with the word? What's the condition of our soul? Has everything to do with what kind of harvest we have? Whatever you're walking through, you're crying, oh, Lord. What did you do with the word he gave you? Did you plant it in good soil? Yeah, but there were sticks and they were thicket. Well, get them out. Do you have to? You have. You know, you just don't go pick a. You don't go buy a farm unless it's a working farm without clearing land and all of a sudden preparing the soil to receive the seed. You go out there and buy, buy, buy a farm. It's all wooded. You just start throwing seeds out there. You ain't gonna grow no crops. Why? Because your soil's not right. And if we want to harvest, we've got to have our soil in the right condition. You've got to put it in the right place. If you're, if you're, if you're, you know the wayside, that's the tractor road or whatever. I call it the tractor road because I always drive down in the truck down to the farm when we were farming. And that part I drove on, I would want it to get hard and hard as a rock so that when rains come, it didn't wash it out. But you know, that was so hard I couldn't get seeds to grow in it. And I'd throw seeds on it and birds would eat it before I could get away. You bury it in the ground, they can't find it. But they'll, they'll go picking. If they know you planted seeds, they'll go looking for them. But the ones on the wayside where the ground's hard, the birds eat it. Why? Because it won't get in the soil. And if our heart's hard, even the words we hear will just bounce off. We can control how it is. Some of it falls among rocky soil. You know that one garden that Karen and I went into? We had to prepare it when we moved to Barney Road. And the bottom of it, when I started working that land, I had a disc uh, tiller on the back. It was about six feet wide, and I could till it. And I'd work, I'd get food in it. I'd do things, I'd make the soil better. And once in a while, shank, throw a big rock up. I'd have to get off the tractor, take it out of gear, take, disengage the tiller, and go get the rock and throw it. And I had a pile of rocks. How many times I had to stop the tractor to get off and get the rock out to throw it outside the garden? Because that rock would keep it from growing. If it was really rocky, so there ain't enough dirt in there for it to grow. And then there's a, there's a 
There's a soil, the third condition of a soil where Jesus was telling them to plant the seeds and there's thorns and thistles. Used to hear Brother Hagin say, uh, that's ignorance gone to seed. There was some stuff in there that would grow in my garden. It was called like a <clears throat> cat horse weed or something like that. If you didn't pull it out when it started growing, it went to seed so fast that if you just left it, you planted your seeds and then other stuff comes up. You know, when you, when you till it, just what you plant's not coming up. Everything that's in that soil, every seed that's in that soil, that could have been in there for some period of time or some birds bring it. But if you get seeds in that soil and rain comes, everything in that soil is going to start trying to grow. They did an experiment like a one square mile in the middle of a desert and they started watering it. Before you knew it, that thing was lush. Why? Because there were so many seeds from hundreds of years in that sand that wouldn't grow. But once it started getting water, it began to grow. You need to plant all the seeds you can in your soil so they'll grow when they need to grow. So in this thing to grow, and then all of a sudden, if I go, I wouldn't get that horse weed or whatever it's called. I can't remember the name of it. <clears throat> but it would throw, have thorns on it. And it just throws a thousand seeds out there. And if you're not careful, you till that under, you only had, now you had one plant, now you've got a thousand of them. If you don't deal with them, it's going to take over your whole garden. But when they come up, turn them under again, kill them, go ahead and get rid of them. So as you, you and I can make sure that our soil is good conditioned soil to grow in. And then we have to water it. We would plant. Now, this was not my full-time job. This was what we did in addition to the restaurants. And I was growing food for the restaurants. I'd plant it, and I'd come back in about 10 days. I'd see the plants coming up. And I'd check it. Then I'd say, well, I got some time here. And so I'd leave, and then I'd come back two weeks later. And all of a sudden, there's more stuff in that garden growing than I even planted. And if I didn't take the time to go through and pull that stuff out, those, those weeds would overtake and choke out the green beans and butter beans I planted. And let me just tell you this, too. It's a whole lot easier to plant seeds than it is to harvest. Do you know that? There's a lot of people out there say, I want to help. He said, pray the Lord that God would thrust laborers into the path. Because they're probably not going to want to go. <laughs> Everybody wants to preach, but nobody wants to harvest Everybody wants to sow the seeds, but harvesting is tough. Butter beans about the hardest thing I know to pick. And I love butter beans, but you've got to do a lot of work to eat them. You've got to plant them. You've got to water them. You've got to keep them weeded. Then you've got to pick them. And if you don't have a chair to sit on when you pick them, and the dirt's hot, you're going to hurt your back bending over and picking. And by the time you pick them, and then he, then he, he ain't done. You got to shell them. <laughs> oh, me. Well, Jesus is using this parable talking about the sower sows the word. The sower, the seed that he's sowing is the word. If you hear a good message, if you're here, you know, you're coming, but you're just partly listening. You ain't really open to it. The minute you walk out the door, the devil's going to steal it from you. You may be in here and you're thinking, well, that's pretty good, pretty good. I, I, something he's saying sounds pretty good. But if you're not careful, when you walk outside, you'll go, ah, 
That's just that Christian religious stuff. <laughs> you got to be careful. You hear a word and it doesn't necessarily jive with you, you better search it out. It may be bumping up against your religion or what you think you know to be true instead of what is true. Because if what you think you know is not true, you're hurting in that area. For example, when Paul's talking about the shield of faith, and your faith is not just faith in one thing, it's faith in all he says, right? Well, if you don't know what he says about healing, you have a hole in your shield when it comes to sickness. And you hold your shield up against the devil, that dart's coming right in because there ain't nothing in there. there there's, it's the shield of faith, and it talks about faith in his truth. If you don't know God's word concerning your finances, you've got a hole in your shield. The devil can throw things at you. Now, he didn't tell you to dodge these darts of the devil. He told you to quench him. It means you're going to have to actually get involved in what the devil says and stop it, quench it, put it out. Because if you dodge, it'll hit your brother. Or next time it comes, it's going to get you. Whatever the devil tells you is a fiery dart. Whatever the world tells you is a fiery dart. And you may think, ah, oh, that's no big deal. All it has to do is just get in <clears throat> and take root. Look at the church today considering what we believe socially and our morality and our behavior in this nation. The pot's been boiling, the frog's been in it. And we're, not this church, but a lot of the church today is just becoming very accustomed to the world and what they say is right. Uh-uh. Only the word of God is true. And he's not old-fashioned. Ah, oh, that's just old-fashioned stuff. They need to get up with the times. You know, end times? You better get attuned to the end times. You better get attuned to what God says, because he's always on time. He's not not hip. He may not be hip with what we think is hip. But what we think hip 20 years ago, we think stupid today. Do you know what we think is hip today? We're going to think this is stupid later because we're going to find out differently. Right? And he's always on time. The person that we consider hip is always ahead of everybody else. They're the first one in. He's doing stuff we don't even know about. Let I me mean, put it in their terms. He's the hippest cat in the universe. God. You can't inform him of one thing. You can't show him anything. You can't turn him on to anything. Because he's on it. He knows it and he sees it before it ever gets here. And if you sit down and listen to him, he'd tell you about your life. And what you need to do to get it right. Because he wants you to have it right. He doesn't need us to run around and just worship him because he's short of worship. <laughs> There's 24 of them sitting there just day after day throwing their crowns at him 24-7. They, well, they don't even know 24-7 up there, but just all the time. They're worshiping God and casting their crowns at him. I don't know who picks them up and gives them back to him, but they do it again. And, they, and they've been doing it forever. And they're continually doing it. 
They are worshiping God continuously. They know night and day there, but night and day. All the beings of heaven are worshiping him because they see him as much as they can see of him. And they are in awe of him. We start looking without preconceived ideas, without religious stuff that we've been carrying around. If we could just go back and wipe our slate clean, start from scratch on his word, we'd be a whole lot better off than bringing, dragging in religion and religious thoughts into what we think and trying to make the word of God fit into our understanding of who God is. We ain't never going to see him right because we keep dragging this bad thinking in there. Right? Every time you look at his word, you need to say, I'm going to look as if, I'm going to act as if I don't know anything and I'm willing to lay down anything I think I know for the truth of what he'll tell me. And the extent that you're open to it is how much you'll receive from it. If you ain't very open, you ain't getting much. Be careful what you're listening to. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth that you hear is the same measure or equal proportion of what goodness comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. If you're willing to listen, you're going to get more. My grandfather was a Pentecostal holiness preacher. That's my daddy's daddy, Charles Francis Noble. They got miraculously healed when he was about 16 years old, which had been 1905, about the same time the Holy Spirit started falling on the Methodist Church in eastern North Carolina. I'm estimating somewhere around Falcon where the Pentecostal holiness church was founded. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was that area, and that's where he came from. And I didn't know till a year and a half after we had been searching the things of God, and particularly the Holy Spirit, that he got miraculously healed at the same time. He went to some meeting, and he was healed of two things. One, of braces on his legs, and two, he couldn't speak. He stuttered so bad. And so I grew up hearing about my Grandpa Noble and tongue talkers and the Pentecostal people and how wicked they were and how it was all of the devil. By the way, when I served the devil, you know, I never heard tongues anywhere I went. If tongues were of the devil, I'd have bumped into it somewhere. Never did. But I kept hearing about it in the back of my mind, in the back of my growing up, that tongues, that's weird stuff. Now, we can take anything that God does and make it profane, right? Sexual perversion is twisting what God made beautiful. And we have a hard time even talking about that in here. Oh, gosh, he's talking about sex. It was a gift from God, and it's better than you think. (laughs) Because the devil twisted it. So in 1905, 06... Azusa Street and things started happening across this country and across the world. There's always been a remnant of people being baptized the Holy Ghost. It never went away. We didn't know much about it or we, we disdained it. But in that early 1900s, it happened again. Somebody started praying. Charles Parham and those folks in Topeka, Kansas and those kids in that college at 1899, that midnight, they prayed on New Year's Eve, I think it was around that time, somewhere. I don't know how my day's exactly right, but it was around there. And they said, we want what the church had in the book of Acts, and they got it. 
because they were hungry for it. The measure of thought and study they gave to the truth they heard was a harvest back to them. And I'll just say this. You have as much of God as you want. Don't act like God's holding back. (laughs) Oh, I've been pressing in, Brother Noble, but I just can't seem to get there. What are you pressing into? He said, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I know I did that, but it didn't work. (laughs) You expect me to believe what you say instead of what God says, even though I understand that's what you think is true? Nah. If I don't see it working, I, I, I got to figure out and I'm, it's me, not God. He's not holding back from me. Boy, I'd like to be like Smith Wigglesworth. Well, what's holding you back? Only yourself. Or what you've been believing or, or what you've been reading. Now, don't think you can listen to Wiz Khalifa half the day and then turn around and listen to God. And it ain't going to be this. Messed up. You put a little strychnine in my in my iced tea, it's not good. I don't want any of it in there. Do you think you can take a little bit of the world and it's okay? We're in this world. Isn't that enough? <laughs> Why we gotta go digging it, huh? Now there's things in life that God gave us that are pleasures that are really nice. And Jesus enjoyed the things that God gave him to the point he said, they call me a wine bibber and a glutton. Obviously because he loved fellowship with people and wine and dinner and being with people. But he wasn't in it the world the world was in it. He was about the kingdom. And we can be in this world and be effective if we're about the kingdom. But if we're not about the kingdom, we take one hat off and put another one on. Based on where you go, because we do that in this country. On Sunday morning, let's put our Christian hat on, go to church, listen to some guy preach that has nothing to do with me except it's a nice story. Then go home and back to say, man, Lord, I, can make, I hope I can make it till next Sunday. Well, this ain't no social club. This ain't no dinner club. It's an eternal commitment. Because to being born again, first of all, you have to declare with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is now Lord of my life. It ain't like, well, I declare in my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead. Now I'm saved. Is my heart in it? Well, I said it. What does that do? You can say it all day long, but if you don't believe it, it didn't come to pass. Because that's what Jesus said. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and believe what you say would come to pass, you'd have what you say. If you don't believe it, you don't have it. He's talking about what we speak, not only things that we want to come to, just the promises, things that benefit me, but things that benefit humanity and things that he's called us to, his way of doing things, we come into it by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord of my life. If he's Lord of my life, then what do I do? Whatever he tells me to do, I do. If he's Lord, yes, sir. Do you want to do that? No. But he asked me to do it. So I'm going to do it. Do you think everything he's going to ask you is going to go, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that? No. Because you have flesh to deal with, right? We have ourselves to deal with. And we need to crucify it. It is commitment. 
of the greatest demand. And that's not even... That's not the pinnacle. He wants to be born again so he can live in you. <laughs> like my grandfather found a hold of. And they began to believe God to be filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. But Jesus didn't say in Acts, the first chapter, you shall receive tongues after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But he said, you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Yeah, that Pentecostal group was walking in tongues, but when they, well, just let me put it out there. We're supposed to be walking in the power of God, in the power of God. What's a person supposed to look like filled with the Holy Ghost? Look at Jesus. He's the perfect example. He is the pinnacle of what it is, humanity filled with God, period. We are called not to get saved, but to be filled with God. But how you get filled with God, first you must be saved. We think that's the, that's the goal line. No, that's the door into our destiny to get born again so we can receive from God what he wants to give us and though I'll probably bring this up every Sunday, John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, and when he brought him out of the water, he goes, this is the one that God told me about when he called me into ministry. This is the one God told me when he called him. God called John into ministry. My, your parents can't call you into ministry. God calls you. And if you're not called here, don't come here. But come here, but listen. But to put your hands to the plow, you need to be called where you're called to. I'll tell you about John, but let me just say this one point. We, we go looking for churches. Well, I'm going to go see if I can find me a church. Like I'm going to go shopping for some clothes. How dumb is that? How silly is that? To go look for a church. Because then you're looking for something that's going to make you feel good. God may call you to a place and you may not like it. Well, I'm offended. Well, you probably brought it with you. But he's not going to take you someplace just because you want to go there. Brother Copeland used to say, find out where you're supposed to go to church. You'll find your job. We go find a job and see if we can find a church. Like we're shopping for a car. God, where do you want me to go? Go there. And if he calls you somewhere else and you come here, you're going to be out of sorts. And if he calls you somewhere else and you're not here, you're going to be out of sorts. Right? I mean, we're called into him. And you may find yourself in the cornfield when you get called. If that's where you're working, just work until he tells you somewhere else to go. But learn how to develop to hear from God so you can do what he tells you to do. If you never learn to hear from God, how are you going to hear what he tells you to do? If we can't hear from him, how can he talk to us? How can he expect us to follow him if we can't hear? He wants to communicate with you and me, and he wants us to hear it. <laughs> that ain't that hard to figure out. My message today was about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I didn't even get in it. Because of Pentecost, it's when he empowered the church, to do the work that God called the church to do. 
He said, don't go start nothing. Jesus in Acts, the first chapter, don't go start the Peter, James, and John Evangelistic Association. Don't start the Boy from Galilee Outreach. Go wait for the promise you heard me tell you about in John 14, because you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. People that start off in ministry without the Holy Spirit, it's like a guy who goes to run the, the 500 without gas in his car. It's just dumb. Right in Mark, set, go. And he ain't going nowhere because his car ain't got no gas. And if you're called into ministry, which all of us are called and equipped, I mean, even the deacons in, in, uh, in the early church, what's his name, went down to, Simon went down to Samaria to preach Christ, and he was kicking the devil out of human beings, just one after another, just casting the devil out. And, and James, Peter, and John said, let's go down and see this meeting that he's having, Stephen's having, Simon's having, excuse me. And let's see if we can pray and then receive them the Holy Ghost. Well, they're not Jews. Well, it doesn't make no difference. Let's go pray for them. For what reason? To fill them with the Holy Ghost. They cast the devil out. Let's go fill them back up. And you're called to be filled with God. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we're going to have to be filled with what he wants us to be filled with, and that's himself. And it's not just a little nicety thing. It's filled with the power of God. Paul says, my preaching and my teaching is not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it is my preaching, which should be no different than us today. My preaching is a demonstration of the spirit of God and the power of God that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. We've been satisfied and being filled with the wisdom of men for hundreds of years. It's time to be filled with his power. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but your faith would be in God's power. That when we pray, we faith, we have faith. We expect to see God to move miraculously on his behalf because of what we pray. Because we're walking with him. We're talking with him. He hears us and we hear him and he gives us instructions and we follow it. And just like Jesus, our Lord, when the Lord told him to do something, he never questioned whether God would do what he said he would do if Jesus would do what he, God asked him to do. <laughs> Whatever God said to do, he said, yes, sir, I'll go do it. And he fully expect, like when he came off the Mount of Transfiguration and all those, all those people were around those nine disciples because Peter, James, and John were with him. He says, why are you questioning with my guys? A father comes out and says, I have a son who has a deaf and dumb spirit. I brought him to your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Didn't say they would not. He said they could not. Because they were willing. And they were also able. But they didn't. He said, you unbelieving things? How long am I going to be with you? In other words, when are you guys going to get it? I've been telling you this all along. Bring him to me. Bring him to you. Yeah, I know what to do with him. He's fully aware. God told him to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. And Jesus told us to go do the same thing. Yeah, I know, brother. That's what he told the disciples. I'm glad you brought that up. Matthew 28 says, Jesus said, go tell the you, you disciples, go, tell, go preach this gospel to everybody and tell them to follow faithfully all the commands I gave you. Whatever he commanded them is our command. He no longer can shove that off as the early church. Whatever he told the church to do, he's telling you and I to do today. And bless God, we better get to it. 
because the time is drawing short. Well, I know, but I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, how about your brother that's going to hell? Don't you want to save him? Don't you want to reach him to turn him into a fire, pile, fire a ball of fire and send him out? Don't just go, come on here, let's get saved. I want you to sit on this pew the rest of your life until Jesus comes. That's about the most... That's about the most ridiculous thing we can do is get saved and just be quiet and, and just sit around the world and do nothing. And when it comes to the baptism, the Holy Ghost, well, I don't know about that. Well, why don't you stick your nose in the book and find out for yourself? Quit listening to people tell you that's not for today. Because it's for today. It was never supposed to stop. Hallelujah. For your you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and be my witnesses. The five times in the book of Acts it talked about people being filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. Doesn't say about Paul, but then you know later Paul said, I thank my God that I pray in tongues more than you all. But you don't know how to apply them right. You're running around just blabbing in your mouth. Just yelling in tongues. It ain't doing nobody no good. It's the same thing the church did in 1905 until now. Pentecostal people, and I'm one of them, but just talking about all we do is we pray in tongues, we pray in tongues. Well, where's the power? That's the thing that's been bugging me. How come we're not walking in the power? It ain't on God's side of the equation, but the problem is it has to be on ours. And the problem is it's right here, and we have it now. We're not waiting for another day. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has been at hand for 2,000 years. And he said, when you go somewhere, release that kingdom everywhere you go. Somebody came in here today, want me to pray. How's your leg? Is it better? I said, well, Lord, I'm he wanted me to pray. I said, I'll pray for you. I can't fix a thing, but I, God, God's living on the inside of me. And if he's on the inside of me, then I release him by my yielding to the Holy Spirit to flow through me to make a change and a cure in somebody else's body. What if it don't work? Why do we always think about the negative first? Go heal the sick. I don't know if I can heal the sick. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's a shout of joy there. <laughs> She's a sour buddy. Huh? You have a testimony? Okay. Come up here. She said, look who's here. You want to come up? Okay. So last Saturday, I got a call really early from Joanne, and she didn't typically call me on Saturday morning. So I picked it up. It was like 8.30. Um, she was obviously very, very upset. Um, so I jumped in my car, and I ran and got her. She was saying that she got a call from one of her sister's friends who... Um, told her that her sister was on a ventilator. She didn't know she was in the hospital. Her sister, her only sister was on a ventilator and the doctors were asking, did they want to keep her on the ventilator or take her off the ventilator? And um, you know, at that point we didn't have a whole lot of uh, details, so we just went. And so we got there and she was in ICU and they had her in a coma. They had induced a coma, so she wasn't awake. And um, when we were driving to go pray with her, 
neither one of us really knew exactly what the situation was going to be when we got there. We So we were just listening and waiting on God, and we decided that um, we were going to, when we went in, we were just going to take a, we were just going to take some, the reading of the room. We were going to get the, t- we knew God wanted to do something. We just weren't sure. And my big question was, had she coded? So we found out when we got there, she had not coded. So in my experience, when somebody has a taste of heaven and they don't particularly have a very awesome life on earth, they'll just go. So I wasn't sure if she had tasted heaven or not. So um, we got in the room. She looked really bad. It didn't look good. I've seen bad, and uh, it didn't look good. And the the um, the nurse was so sweet. She was so awesome. And she said, you know, I try to clean her up when the family comes. I want them to see their loved one, you know, and know that they're being taken care of. We knew that she was being taken care of. It was a beautiful, beautiful nurse, and she was doing an awesome job. The doctor came in and said, I don't know. Um, she's been bleeding internally. We've given her nine units of blood. Um, her hemoglobin, when she came in, was four, um, and normal is twelve. So um, she was she was bleeding out, and um, you could the see that she was hemoglobin was four, but normal is twelve. That right, was just said, okay. Right, but they had given her nine liters of blood, and so they were going to give they were going to do another hemoglobin test in about an hour. And then they would know if the bleeding had stopped or not. So uh, Joanne and I left. We prayed over her. And we prayed over her in faith. And we were releasing kingdom. That's just basically what we were doing. We were releasing glory and releasing kingdom. And um, we grabbed something to eat. I knew she hadn't eaten. So we we grabbed some food. And we talked and we prayed. And um, then we were walking back into the hospital. They were going to take the hemoglobin test to see. And that would pretty much prove whether she was still bleeding or not because she had a tear in her esophagus and down into her stomach and they weren't sure they tried to go in the night before and repair it but they knew they weren't able to so that's giving her all the blood and the platelets and other things and so um when the doctor came in she just didn't have a whole lot of hope we prayed we left we ate we came back and we were walking through the parking lot and joanne said there will be no tears and no, which was one, one other word in terms of what had happened to her esophagus and her stomach. So we walk in and, and still we're, you know, we don't, we're, we're still kind of reading the room, but we're just releasing the kingdom. So we get back in and they had taken the hemoglobin and it was 12. Amen. There were no tears. There were no, so she was starting to heal. So then the next day, um, same thing. She, her hemoglobin was still, it had, it had gone down a little bit, but they expected that to go down a little bit. So yesterday, Jimmy and I were in Alabama. We were uh, celebrating with our daughter who just um, graduated from her residency program as a chief. She did. She's an awesome girl. Anyway, thank you, Jesus. So I get a text from Joanne, and she sends me a picture of her sister. She's off the ventilator. She's awake. She's talking. She's out of ICU. She's in a regular room. So praise be to God. And so I'm going to just say, I mean, God is doing a miracle in her sister's body. Joanne is expecting a full, I mean, the big thing is that their relationship is being healed as well. Like six weeks ago when her sister started with 
um, some trials with her health, Joanne and her sister started their reconciliation process. And, um, you know, like Pastor Noble was saying about um, a word that God will give you, the reconciliation started, and then Satan came to steal it immediately. And then he tried to snuff her life out. And Joanne said, I just know that God's not through with us yet. There's more restoration. And so the doctors got to see the miracle. And there you scratching their head. They, <laughs> hallelujah. So whatever you need, why don't you just ask God? Why don't you just agree with God to do whatever it is you want him to do? Because we're here as believers to release the kingdom. Amen. And he's not going to put us to shame. He's not. He's not. That's, not. that's not what he's about. I mean, it was audacious what we prayed. She's laying there. She got blood all in her mouth. She's on a ventilator. The doctor's saying, well, I don't know. So how about that? So Amen. let's give God Hallelujah. some glory. Let's give God some glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Probably next time they want you to come up here so they can see you on the camera because people are probably watching. I will say this. Uh, when they found her, the blood had coagulated and she was stuck to the floor. The person that found her before she got to the hospital, she was in bad shape. <clears throat> and where she is today is just miraculous. Now, prayer changed it. The will of God changed it. The will of God is always for good. We stand in the middle of it. Amen. But the testimony of Jesus Christ is a spirit of prophecy. In other words, what God, a testimony about Jesus can be applied to you today. So every day before we leave, we always pray for the sick. Amen. So first of all, we curse cancer. And if you're watching by line or, on, or you know, by the podcast, you can jump right in here with us in faith. It makes no difference how far away you are. Just ask the centurion that came to pray for Jesus, who his servant was maybe, I don't know, years, miles apart. But just because of what he believed, healing came to his house, I mean, his son or his servant, whoever it was. So before we go today, we're going to curse cancer and physical body because Jesus told us to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and cleanse lepers. Now, wherever you are, if you're in this room, if you're online and internet, wherever, or on podcasts, if you've got cancer in your body or someone in your family has cancer or you know someone has cancer, I want you to stand to your feet. If you have cancer, someone in your family has cancer, or you know someone that has cancer. Now, if you're like me, and uh, if, you're, if you were sick and somebody knows it and you don't stand up for them, that might be nice. It wouldn't be a nice thing, right? You need to stand up if you know somebody's sick. In addition to that, if you have any sickness or any disease in your body, any abnormality, any malady, any oppression, depression, any kind of uh, addiction, perversion, anything you want shed from you, you want it free from you, amen, God will set you free. Sir, I, right there, how you feeling, better? Amen, because he came in and he got hit with chills out there, and somebody called me and said, man, needs some help down here, so I went and... He had chills. I said, well, you can't do this in our church. And I laid hands on him and said, I'm going to believe God for you to get better. And he got better. Thank God. Hallelujah. That's a testimony. Anytime you hear a testimony. Wow. Hallelujah. 
Sometimes we got to wait. Amen. And I got some names I'm going to call out. So when I tell you to call your name out or the persons in your family or someone you know, call their name out. Amen. We're going to do what Jesus told us to do. We're going to believe that he's going to do what he said he would do if we did what he said to do. Amen. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just let me remind you, if you have cancer or some of your family, or if you have any sickness, any disease, any abnormality, anything you want to get shed of, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to deal with cancer first, and then we're going to deal with everything else. And we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of living. Do you believe that, Brother Noble? Yes, with all my life. If Jesus said it, I believe it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority vested in us as members of his body, warriors in his kingdom, heirs to his, his, his kingdom, with G, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and all authority in heaven was given to him and in the universe, and we are joint heirs with him. We have the authority over sickness and disease and over cancer. So we curse the cancer in the physical bodies of the people's names that we call out right now. Now you call that name out or your name out in the name of Jesus. Shirley, Richard, Chris, Darnell, Bridget, Leslie, Blake, Paul, Jack, Lee, Tony, Marcia, Sean, Alice, Peter, Cross, Linda, Billy, Jill, Thomas, Jillian, Cole, and Sherry. Cancer, we're talking to you. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you to die. Every cell, every cancer cell, we command you to cease and desist your maneuvers, dissipate and come out of their body in Jesus' name and leave no scar tissue behind. If this cancer is demonic in nature, not physiological, Jesus told us to cast out devils. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you foul spirits of cancer, wherever you are in this house or outside on the internet or by podcast, in the name of Jesus, we command you to loose them and let them go. Furthermore, if there's any cancer in this room within the sound of my voice, unknown, undetected, so small you don't even know it's there. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, once again, we curse you, cancer, to your core. We command you to cease and desist your maneuvers, dissipate and leave them. And if you're demonic, in the name of Jesus, loose them and let them go. Hallelujah. And every sickness and every disease, any malady, any malfunction, any, any damage left over from a wreck or whatever, uh, or uh, scar tissue in the brain. Any oppression, any depression, any demonic activity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you to cease and desist your maneuvers. Right now we speak healing, we release the kingdom of God, and it's not bound by this room, even though we call this a healing and a cancer-free room. We speak healing and release the power of God to whoever has ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. And then Jesus will heal you. Amen. We declare healing from the top of your head to the bottoms of your feet. Every cell, every tissue, every fiber alive with the life of God. Every addiction, come off in Jesus' name. Every perversion, loosen. Let them go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And while you're in a, in a, a, a mode of opening your heart, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, and if you've never been filled with his Holy Ghost and full of power, just like Jesus, we're going to pray for that today. So I want you to repeat this after me. Believers alike, if you're a believer also, you declare it. And tell it so the devil can hear you. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I believe your gospel message. I declare today Jesus is Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. 
And according to your word and my profession of faith, I'm now saved. Hallelujah. You also said that if I ask you, you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. So Father God, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. And I receive your Holy Spirit now by faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, now, now leave this place and act like it. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. Freely have you received, freely give. Praise God. I'm going to bless you before you. If anybody prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you asked God to refill you with the Holy Spirit, I want you to see your hand. Just wave your hand. Amen. 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 If he gives you his Holy Spirit, don't sit on it. Follow him and do what he says do and see the the advertisement of God flow through your life. Amen. The Lord, I'm going to close you and bless you if you'd stand to your feet. This is the ironic blessing that God told Moses to tell his brother to tell his sons. And he said when when they declare this, they're writing my name on them, and then God says, and I'll do it. This is an old covenant. This is an Old Testament, old covenant blessing, but it's awesome. And if I declare this, according to God's word, I'm writing God's name on you, and God's going to fulfill it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When he says lift up his countenance, he means face to face. I mean right here. The presence of God in him in you and you face to face with him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you face to face and give you peace both now and forevermore. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you again for being our guest here on The Voice of Healing. When you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, join us for our 10 a.m. Sunday morning service. Our website, restoringplace.org, has all the details on how to find us. While you're on our site, check out ways you can volunteer at the Dream Center. Need someone to answer questions about us or to pray with you 24-7? Call our prayer line at 704-904-9025.